I was sitting at home on my couch. I got a knock at the door, and there was a cousin. He come in, and that's when I was introduced to freebasing, which is cocaine. Back then, it was called freebasing, and then as the years went, it turned to crack. He cooked it. He came back. We sat down. He told me to try it. And I was like, you know, I don't do that. I'm in law enforcement. I don't, I don't do that. I get people to do that. And then I said, I don't want any drugs. I don't want that. I just want to know why you didn't come to the funeral. I just want to know why you treated me the way you treated me. Why my son had to die. I was just all over the place. And then he fixed it up. And he wasn't even listening to what I was saying. He goes, here, try it. And I was like, I just told you I don't want to do it. And he said, it's one word. It'll ease your pain. That one little word, it'll ease your pain, made me take a hit. I never looked back. I had a happy life as a little girl, I think I could say. Um, But I was raised by my grandmother and my godmother. So I had an old soul. So I was raised by two older women. And we were very religious. Um, My grandmother was a pastor. And my godmother... She was like the mother of the church, but we had church every day because the church started in the basement of the house. So I guess I could say I started out as a Christian girl. We were very, very uh, strict, very religious. Um, Wasn't able to wear pants and jewelry, makeup, or none of that. And of course, being a girl, as you're growing up, you see these things and you want to do it, but I wasn't allowed to. And um, in growing up, um, I did come across some things in my life um, that I can remember at age of five um, being touched by several family members when I would go to sleep at night. And being in church growing up, I was always taught that God loves and God's this and God is that. But what I didn't understand was we would go to church and we would have a great time and then we would come home from church, and then there was another another atmosphere. And it was me being touched as a child by three different people, sometimes in one night. I never knew how to tell anyone because it was more than one person. So I just kept thinking that it was my fault. It was something that I had did wrong, and if I tell then I'm going to be in trouble. So I never told. I just, like I said, kept thinking that it was my fault. I began to uh, get older, be around more men, and they as well touched me. It just seems like everywhere I went, everything I did, I felt that I was this bad person. I felt that I was no good for anyone, and I'm young. I'm, I wasn't even a teenager. I just wanted to be by myself. I didn't want to be around people because I just knew that if a guy sees me, he's going to touch me. People were always taking advantage of me in that way. Now, as I'm growing up, like I said, I started around five when I remember being touched by family members. And I'm not saying this to hurt anyone in my family. I feel need to say this because my mom, she is still living, even though she didn't have me during those days. But I don't want to say anything to hurt anyone's feeling or make anyone think 
that it was my fault? Or what is she talking about? What did she do? Why didn't she say something to me? So I just want the world to know I'm not blaming anyone for this. And I'm not putting my family down for this. I'm saying this because we are living in a world where things like this is happening to us as women and men, as boys and girls. And we need to know that it's not our fault. And you need to know that God is there. I know that there were times when I would be crying and saying to God, why do you hate me? Why do I have to go through this? Why didn't I know my dad? Why is my mom not raising me? Why is it somebody else? You know, there was a lot of whys and questions that I had to ask. But being in the religion that I was in, you were told not to ask God questions. You were told not to do this and not to do that. We were told you can't be saved until you get rid of your sins. And that right there is where I got stuck. When I got to the age of, I would say, around 12, I was mischievous because I was always told that God doesn't hear sinner's prayer. And you can only come to God when you get rid of all your sins. And if you don't, then you're considered a hypocrite. So I decided that I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm just going to go ahead and do me. Even though I did grow up in church, I loved God. I was singing in the church. And I remember around seven years old, I got baptized and came out the water speaking in tongues. So it's not like I didn't know who God was. I did know, but I was still too young to really know who God was. I only knew by what people told me, and I only knew by what I saw that God may did. As I got older, once I got about 12, my life began to kind of spiral down because of the fact that now I have to go live with my mom. And to go live with my mom, I'm going into a whole new atmosphere. And mind you, I didn't get no notice of going to live with my mom. It was like I came home from school one day and it was like, you're going to be with your mom. So in going there, yes, it was very hard for me because I didn't know anything but the Lord. I didn't know anything but to love and forgive and and Bible study and church and, you know, things like that. Even though those wicked things that was happening to me at the time as a child, we know how to let go and keep going. But as we get older, it's harder to let go and keep going. So I guess I'm trying to balance this out where when I got to the age of 12, when I say it got different and it started spiral downing because now I'm living with my mom and I was introduced to marijuana. And the first time I was introduced to it was by my mom's friend, one of my mom's friends. He got me and my little sister high. And from that day, <laughs> my life spiraled down. It did. It spiraled completely down from that first hit of marijuana. I got addicted. I wanted it every day. I liked the way it made me feel. It was soothing for my mind because I didn't have to think about those things that happened to me. I could just do whatever, you know, you smoke a joint. I feel a whole nother person. Actually, I had a whole nother personality. I was a whole nother person. And that's when I saw myself going down. I wasn't going up. I was going down because of that first joint. 
And people think that, oh, I smoke a joint, be okay. No, it's not okay. If I could do it all over again, I promise you, I would have never stuck not one negative thing in my body. Nothing. Because it never goes away. You have to constantly stay in prayer. You have to constantly tell yourself no. You have to constantly stay away from certain things because if not, it rises up in your spirit and it'll make you want to go do it. And sometimes it comes so hard and so hard and so hard that you just go do it because you have to get that craving off of you. You don't want to feel that. You don't want to feel it. So either I'm going to go fulfill it or keep moving straight to ignore it. Do whatever I got to do to ignore it, okay? So now, like I said, I'm in my teens. Marijuana was everywhere. People were smoking. It was just something to do. And I got into it, and I was smoking and smoking and getting high and doing things and not thinking that it was going to do anything to me. Then, um, before you know it, I'm selling marijuana. Before you know it again, I get kicked out of school. And when I say kicked out, I was kicked out of all D.C. public schools for selling marijuana and fighting. Now my life is like, what are you going to do now? Because you can't go home. Your mama going to throw you out. You just got kicked out of school. What are you going to do? There was nothing else to do but to live the life that you live when you get kicked out of school. And that is do whatever it is I felt like I wanted to do. And as a teenager, I was into a lot. I started doing LSD, PCP, acid, blotters, rush, mushrooms, black beauties, um, orange sunshines, you name it, I did it. And it normally can start off with a pill, just a pill. Here, take this. It make you feel good, and you take it, and you feel good. And then before you know it, you're taking another one and another one. So doing in all this, I got to drinking, smoking, just doing whatever. And then I decided that I wasn't going to serve God anymore because being in this life that I was doing, nobody was taking advantage of me. Nobody was raping me. Nobody was was making me feel bad. Nobody wasn't taking stuff from me. So I decided that I'm going to live my life. So I started going to the library, getting books on witchcraft. Because I had a gift, which I didn't know what it really was. I had the gift of prophecy. And when I was young, my family, my mom and them would tell me that I have a gift of prophecy. Is the Lord saying something to you? What the Lord is telling you to say to the church? I would just do what they told me to do. I didn't really know what that meant. I just did what they told me to do. And in doing it, I was doing something for God. And then when I realized that I don't want to serve God, because when I was young, being in the house, going to church all the time, everything hurt. I was hurt. I wasn't happy. You know, I was being treated in a way that the Bible said you shouldn't be. And I was. And then I had to smile when I was hurting. I was just becoming fake. I was becoming a person that I wasn't because I had to act like this before you so that you can accept me. Then when I ain't around you, I had to act like this before them so that they can accept me. So then it got to the point is I'm tired of changing. So I want to be who I want to be. And that was, I wanted to be headquarters of the hell. Seriously. I was literally saying, I'm going to kick the devil out of hell and I'm going to hell and I'm going to run it. 
be careful what you say. Because in doing that, I started getting into doing all kinds of seance and just getting more and more and more into witchcraft. I wanted to see people die. I wanted to see people get crippled. I wanted to see things happen because this is what I was told can happen. So everyone that came against me with something, I would come back at them with witchcraft because I wanted to see them suffer. I wanted to see them hurting. I was evil. I had evil in me. That's it. All I can say is I had evil in me. Then it got to the point where I started being a cutter. Every time something happened, if I feel like you fuss at me, my mom, or somebody want to beat me, I feel like I was a bad person. I did this to myself, so I would go and start cutting on myself. After cutting on myself, I would do things to hurt myself because now I am in witchcraft because God wouldn't do that. So I am living a witchcraft life, and that is death. I'm walking around dead. I'm a, I'm a zombie. I'm not trying to know God. I'm not trying to know love. I'm not trying to love, not trying to love all those things that we should. All I want to do is do hate, anger. I want to go out here and I want to see something happen to you because in my mind, I said it can happen. That's not good. And in doing that, my life began to go really downhill fast. Like I said, it's been in it, I guess, about three, four years. I got pregnant. And when I got pregnant, I decided to go back to school because I didn't want my child to say to me, you didn't finish high school, so why should I have to finish high school? And then I also didn't want anything that my mom did. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to do what she didn't do. So unfortunately, she couldn't finish high school because she was pregnant with me. But I did not want to live like that. I wanted to go back now to school because I didn't want to be like my mom, you know, because I heard generational curses. So even though I was out there doing the things I was doing, I still had enough sense to say, I don't want my child to grow up like this. So I went back to school and I just made it in. I graduated and I got a high school diploma and I had my daughter And um, I thought everything was going good. Mind you, I was still in the witchcraft, but I may not have been going to Sister Ruth's house as much. I may not have been doing the witchcraft as much, but I was still in witchcraft. Now I'm thinking about this new life. Not thinking about, do I need to do something about this witchcraft stuff? No, just kept moving on in life. So when I had my daughter, I finished high school, got a government job, got married. I just knew I was doing great. And there were times, being pregnant, that I was going to see Sister Ruth because I was trying to get my boyfriend to fall in love with me. I wanted him to want me. I wanted him to not leave me being pregnant. I just was told that I can make him fall in love with me doing witchcraft. That was my motive the whole time. After having my daughter, I was working for the government. I got married. I was a military wife. Then I got into law enforcement. I was doing so great. I was married, had a child, now I'm pregnant with another child. And I just thought my life was just great. And like I said, I still hadn't went to God about this witchcraft things. And the whole time I was pregnant with my son, I was dabbing in it. Because like I said, I wanted his father 
to fall deeply in love with me. I didn't want him to go out there and mess with no other girl or nothing like that. So I believed that in witchcraft I could do it. So I had a son, and when he was born, I was in the hospital, and I looked down at him, and I fell asleep with him in my arms. And while I was asleep, I was dreaming about a voodoo dancing. It was voodoos, and they were dancing, doing voodoo dance. And the man in the middle was the voodoo dancer, and there's people around him. They dancing with him, and it was a death dance that they were doing. So when I woke up, I looked at my son, and I said, well, you're not going to die because you were just born. So it's going to be somebody that I know. An older person leaves so a new person can come to earth. That's how I thought. I was able to take my son home and, you know, raise a child. Um, he cried a lot. I thought it was because he was just spoiled. Um, I never could put him down. I had to hold him all the time, and I had to go to work. I was tired, but I was still, you know, going to do this. So one day I come home from work. It was 12 midnight. I picked my son up. I left my daughter. And we go home, and um, I put my son in his bed to be with his father. I heard my son trying to get relaxed, I guess. He was, like, squinching around and just trying to get comfortable. And then I heard him go, and I said, well, he's finally asleep now. When I woke up that morning, I looked at the clock. It was 10.38. I put my feet on the floor, and I began to say no, no. I felt death as soon as I put my feet on the floor. I looked over at him in the bed, and I started calling his name. And he didn't move around like he would do. And I knew that he was gone. When I went to pick him up, his head fell back in my arm. And his mouth was purple. I dropped him back in the bed. And I started screaming. I didn't want to do anything because I was afraid that they would come and say I did something to him. At the time, my son-in-law, my brother-in-law was living with me. And he called him Thundercat. And I was screaming and telling him that he was gone. And he came out. And he looked at him. And he put a towel over him. And then I really lost it, and I cursed God. I told him to kill me because growing up as a little girl in church, you know, if you curse God, you die. So I wanted to die. So I cursed God, and I just told him to kill me. I hated God. Why you take my child? Not knowing that that day I did die. Not physically, but spiritually. I did. Because after that, (sighs) 
after that, the day we come home from the hospital when they said that he was dead, that was the day I picked up a pack of cigarettes and started smoking. That was the day when my sister gave me a drink and she called it a zombie. And from that day, I can't tell you who or what happened because I was not me anymore. The day of the funeral, when we got home, his father asked me for a divorce. He asked me for a divorce because he said he just wanted to be an independent father of a son. He didn't need me anymore. And that's when all hell broke loose. I began to hate. I hated me. I hated everyone that had did anything to me. I blamed everybody. I didn't know how to seek help. I just wanted my child. I didn't know what to do. I had never been through this before. I was just hurting. I couldn't go to my husband and cry on his shoulder because he didn't want to be married to me no more. So I felt like my whole life just gone. Three days after the funeral, we were sitting. I was sitting at home on my couch. I got a knock at the door, and there was a cousin. He come in, and that's when I was introduced to freebasing, which is cocaine. Back then, it was called freebasing, and then as the years went, it turned to crack. He came in. He went in the kitchen. I'm just going to speed this up. He cooked it. He came back. We sat down. He told me to try it. And I was like, you know, I don't do that. I'm in law enforcement. I don't, I don't do that. I get people that do that. And then I said, I don't want any drugs. I don't want that. I just want to know why you didn't come to the funeral. I just want to know why you treated me the way you treated me. Why my son had to die. I was just, just all over the place. And then he fixed it up. And he wasn't even listening to what I was saying. He goes, here, try it. And I was like, I just told you I don't want to do it. And he said, this one word, it'll ease your pain. <laughs> that one little word, it'll ease your pain, made me take a hit. I never looked back. From that day on, I lost my home. I lost my daughter. I lost my job. I lost my family. I lost me. I began to walk the streets looking for drugs. I was raped every day. Gang raped, beat up, <laughs> thrown out of cars butt naked. <laughs> they had nowhere to live. I slept on the streets till I found this box that was made like a refrigerator, and that became my home. So I slept in this box at night. Nobody was to touch my box, and nobody didn't touch my box either. Then when it's, when it's time to eat, I will go to the trash dumpster, which was at in the back of a store. Back then, we had a store called Geno's, Tucky Fried Chicken, Holly Farms, you know, stuff like that. And I would go and get the food out the barrel, which is called spoilage, which goes into the trash. I didn't think that it was bad because it was still had wrap on it, you know. But I was literally eating out the trash. And then something hit me. 
I want y'all to know, you know, when they say raise up a child and where she go, they will come back. Because I was eating out the trash and I heard something say the prodigal son, he was eating out of the trash, the, the pig slop. And I wasn't thinking about no Bible. I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't thinking about none of that. It just, like, came to me. And then I realized that, oh, my gosh, I'm eating out the trash. So finally I uh, tried to get my life straight. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. And those out there that have done drugs or doing drugs, you know what I'm talking about. It's a lot. I'm not going to sit here and go into detail of every little thing, but trust and believe. It was a lot, and it wasn't good. I moved away, trying to get my life right, and was driving one day with some friends, and we end up in Virginia. And um, being that I was military, I could get a place. I was, you know, a wife, a military wife, so I'm going to get a place because I lost everything, so I wanted to get my life right. But I just didn't know how. I finally got a little place, and I thought I was doing good. I was working like three jobs, and the people that was with me, I thought we were doing okay, and then one day I woke up and they were gone. And now I'm stuck here with a place that I can't pay all the rent to because I don't have nobody here to help me now. My daughter wasn't with me because she was in D.C., with my godmother, and I'm supposed to be somewhere getting my life right, building it so I can get my daughter and, you know, live right. So I thought. And then before you know it, um, I started selling drugs there because it was easy. I hadn't stopped. I was still using. I was just trying to, like, make my family think that I wasn't using as much as I used to because I'm working now and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But it was a lie. Till one day, it was um, New Year's, New Year's Eve. And, of course, you know, I'm going to bring in the new year, blasting it up. Beam me up, Scotty. (laughs) I'm going to have some fun. So I went to the drug man where I get my stuff from. And his wife was there, and believe it or not, you guys, the drug man told me he wasn't selling me any. <laughs> I thought he was joking. I mean, I was like, you're not going to sell me any. And he said, no, nah, I can't do it anymore, Kim. <laughs> I said, what's up with you? Why? You know, I ain't trying to hear that, man. I got my money. I'm trying to get high. What are you tripping on? And he said that um, he was born in North Carolina. And he said Fayetteville, and he said he was raised in North Carolina in church. And he said, it's something about you. I can't sell it to you because I don't want God to get me. It's something about you with God that I can't do this. And I'm sitting here going, are you tripping? He tripping. Is you smoking your stuff? What's going on? I don't want to hear about God right now. Are you tripping? Can you just, you know, give me what I need? Nope. He said, what you need to do (laughs) is go to church. I looked at him and his wife like, what are y'all tripping on? It's New Year's Eve. Why y'all blowing me, you know? And they was like, no, you need to go to church, Kim. You need to get your life right. Couldn't believe it. I was 
very upset. You know, it was almost like when I was getting high at times, I would see mama praying and crying and snotting for me. And then I would literally pick up the phone and call her and say, Ma, will you please stop praying for me? Because I can see you and you're messing up my high. And I can't get high watching you praying and crying in the spirit on me. And she would just be thanking God and praising him even louder. And I'll hang the phone up on her. So it's like, who does that? Who does that? So with him and his wife saying, you need to go to church. There's a church up the street. You know, I'm like, who does that? (laughs) And so they let me drink. They let me smoke some weed. But they would not give me no dope. So... I went home that night, don't know how I got there, but I did, drove myself, and I don't know, you guys, I just was like, sleep, I just woke up, I didn't feel tired, I didn't feel anything, only thing I felt was go to church, and mind you, I was probably about 85, 90 pounds, (laughs) and on my way going to the church, I had my little boy with me, and um, I was crying. Tears just running down my face. I don't know why it was running down my face. I couldn't stop him from running down my face. I only lived like two two corners from the church. I walk up in there, and they come, the usher. She greeted me at the door. She was so excited, and she was all happy. And I'm standing with these tears coming down my face like, I don't know why I'm crying. Please forgive me. And she was like, come on in. She was all excited and everything. I went in, and I sat down in the back of the church because there was no room, and everybody, it was, like, crowded. They was just, like, praising God and shouting and everything. I don't know what, why, but I just kept going, I can't see. (laughs) I don't know what I was looking for, but I was. I was like, I can't see. It's dark, you know, like, look dark in the church, but I just wanted to see. So I asked the usher, I said, is there another seat that I can sit in? Because I can't see. So she said, well, up front, the second row on the end, there's one seat, but you have to hold your son. And I said, okay. So I went up. Now, mind you guys, if you ain't been to church in 20 years and you've been out in the street doing these things that I was doing, the last thing you're going to do is go to church. (laughs) But then if you do go to church, you sure ain't going to go to the front. You go sit in the back because the door is easy to get to. When I'm ready to roll, I can get them roll. I goes in there and I wanted to sit in the front so I can see. So right then something wasn't right. <laughs> then it was time for testimony. I mean, for like um, visitors to stand, and the guy said, "Tell us who invited you. No, tell us your name, who invited you, and what church you're from." So I was like, oh, Lord, I ain't been to church in 20 years. So I guess I just used my mama's church. And then I looked around the church that I was standing up, and I was looking for the person, you know, the two people that told me to come, which was my drug people. I didn't see them in the the sanctuary. Tears were still rolling down my eyes. And when he got to me, I was just bawling. I mean, bawling. And, And I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. Excuse me. Please forgive me. I said, gosh, I, my name is Kim. And I, I think I did get out my mom's name of her church and I just couldn't stop crying. And then the, the guy who was at the podium at the time, he says, young lady, come here. And then I was like, me? 
And he said, yeah, so I just wanted to be obedient because the way I was raised, you don't play in church. So I got up and I was obedient and I stood in front of him and he said, the Holy Spirit is all upon you. And God said, it's time to give it up. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I cursed God, but my son died. I've been out on the street. I'm a junkie. I have done so much stuff that God wouldn't even look at me no more. I'm telling you, when I leave here, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get high. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm just a talking. <laughs> he ain't paid none of it any attention. Before I knew it, he had called the elders and the ministers and the evangelists. He, he, he called them all up. And they, were, they had put me in a circle. And I was in this circle. Somebody grabbed hold of my stomach and started shaking my stomach. There was a lady in there with me, but she had like like a roll of paper towels. And she just, I thought I was puking because I had a hangover. And I couldn't stop. And she kept cleaning it up with the paper towel, throwing it in the trash, balling it up, tying it. And they were throwing the bag, balling up, tying it, throwing it back. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to see what everybody doing and still let everybody know that I can't get God today because I'm a sinner, you know. So I kept doing what I was doing and still saying to myself, I'm not going to get saved because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. It went for a while. So when the service was done with me, the guy that was in charge said, is it something you would like to say to everybody? This is when it was all over. And I, I said, um, I don't know. I guess I I feel clean. And then the church fired back up again, and I was like, oh, Lord. They were back up shouting and everything again. But I remember hearing that they were going to have foot wash today at 4 o'clock. And I remember hearing that they have Wednesday Bible study. So when church was over, I left, ran to D.C., got my daughter. When I walked in the house to get her because it was New Year's, so kids are going back to school. So when I ran up to get her from mama, when I got in the house, mama started screaming and praising God. And she said, oh, you changed. Oh, it's, oh, this is it. This is it. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, oh, honey, you, oh, yes, this is it. And she kept saying that I'm changed. She said, God, I'm changed. You know, I've been delivered. And she said, I can see it all in your face. So I got in the mirror looking at my face, and I ain't see it. She saw it, but, and then I kept telling her, no, I didn't get saved, Ma. I just had a little blessing. That was about it. But then I'm still trying to figure out how she know I went to church. And so I got my daughter. We got in the car. We got back down the road. I didn't go home. I went straight back to the church for the foot wash. Why, I don't know, but I did. So they washed my feet. Weren't that many people there. And then they told me to come back. Uh, Wednesday for Bible study. So I said, okay. You know, I didn't know if I was or not. So I got home that Sunday, and I was like, I ain't telling nobody. <laughs> what happened to me? So I sat down, got high that night, drank, smoked, did everything I do. Then Monday came, I did the same thing. Then Tuesday came, we were sitting there doing what we do, and I said to him, my husband at the time, I said, 
I got saved on Sunday. <laughs> and he bust out laughing. And I said, why are you laughing? He said, how you get saved? You sitting here getting high. I said, I don't know. But I did. So I got up to walk towards my bedroom. And I had two packs. Of, I had two cigarettes left in a pack. And I boiled it up. And I said, God, if you did this, then take this away from me. And I threw it in the trash. And then Wednesday, I did go to Bible study. And when I got in there, come to find out, the pastor was actually a woman. And she called me up to the front when she saw me. And I was like, oh, here we go again. And then she said, I didn't get your name. I've been praying that you come back because the Lord said to tell you to stop trying. It's done. And... Oh, my God, I just started screaming and crying and telling her, how did you know? How did you know? Because I talked to God that night before, you know, about my cigarettes and stuff. And she came out and was like, it's done, you know, and I I, I was just blown. And so from that day, I received, I believe, and it was done. My rehab wasn't a rehab center, even though I had been in some and got kicked out. My rehab was church. God instantly delivered me. Um, I was a three-pack-a-day cigarette smoker <laughs> for years, and I instantly quit smoking right then. I mean, he took took it away. I haven't had a cigarette since 1993. It's unbelievable, but it is believable. It happened. I was a three-pack-a-day cigarette smoker, and he delivered me instantly on that Sunday. I would use any drugs there were. Did I have a preference? Yeah, coke, crack. My highs were always uppers. I didn't like downers. Sometimes I would speedball by putting dope with coke and shoot it. I mean, there's no way I should be even here. But all of that, all of it, it went away. Wow. It went away. I used to drink Cisco. I had to have at least two or three of them before I can go to bed. They don't even sell it no more in the market because it was like liquid crack. I'm not going to give the devil no pleasure with anything, but I just want you to know when I say I got high, I got high. When I say I used, I used. Do I need to tell you everything I used? No. But what I am going to tell you is that don't play with it because it's no joke because it will creep back on you. Even though I've been delivered since 1993, January 1 was my new birthday. It has not been easy. It has not. I'm not going to sit here and lie, but it's been worth it because I'm not who I used to be. It feels good to wake up in my own home, in my own bed, and don't have a craving for drugs. Feels so good that I ain't got to get up and go walk down the street looking for drugs. It's no joke. It's a spirit. And it ain't playing. I don't care how old you are and what you might have been through. Just know that I was 13 or 12 when I was introduced to marijuana. 
that seed was a bad seed and it was planted in me on that day. I had no idea that later on that seed was going to open back up in me and go, I want this. I want that. I began to crave for stuff that I didn't even know about because of that one little thing that I took and put inside of me. It brought all kinds of drugs. It brought all kinds of drinks. It brought all kinds of people. It brought so much into my life that I can only thank God because I'm sitting here telling you the story. Now, I may not have told you guys bit by bit, but I'm telling you something that can help you right now because I know what it's like to wake up and got the Jones. How do you stop the craving? Pray. Pray that you don't. Pray that you won't. I used to say, I'm not going to say what I won't do, but I'm going to pray that I don't do it. Because you never know what can happen to you and change you just like that. Because, see, when I woke up and found my son dead, this is when my life started going down. When I cursed God out and said I didn't want to live no more, that's when my life started going down. But God never let, God never took his hands off of me. I left God. God never left me. I'm not perfect. There's a lot of other things that I do want to be delivered from in God's timing. Because every time it was in my timing, things don't go right. But if it's in God's timing, it don't ever come back. Now, I just thank him because I'm not who I was. I'm not the person that I used to be. I don't look like that person no more. Now, I told you the part about me as a child growing up, having a child, child passing away, and the things I went through with the drugs and everything, and then giving my life to God and being a new person, you know, and letting all that go and going out now, fired up for God and wanting everybody to know Jesus. (laughs) Everybody got to know Jesus. And then I started writing a book. Well, basically, I went to a testimony for Jesus, and it was at the monument. And I got up, and I told some of my story for the testimony for Jesus. When I was on my way home, my daughter was in a car with me at the time. She was about 13. And she says, Mom, you should write a book. And I said, why do you say that? She said, because your story is very interesting. I I was kind of upset because I didn't want her to hear my testimony because I didn't want her to know that I had did all the things I did. But she accepted it. She was like, Mom, I think you should write a book. Your story is very interesting, and I think it'll help a lot of people. And I said, well, I don't know if I can write a book or not. First of all, I need a name. I don't even know. I don't even have a name for it. And so then she said, well, if you decide to do it, I have a name. And I said, what's that? And she said, from crack to Christ. And that's how the book got started, from crack to Christ. And that was in 1996. And I asked her, where did she get that name from? 
And she said, I don't know. It just came to me. So that was God. And I began to write the book. And this is the third one. Because, of course, the first one I didn't give a lot. And the second one I didn't want to tell. And then the third one, God said, put some more in there. And I did. When I was going to do my sec- the next book, my body got attacked. Even though... I'm running for Jesus, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm out here witnessing and testifying and giving people my story and helping people get off of drugs. Don't think that the devil ain't there because he still is, and he still wants me. He wants me worse now than he ever wanted me. He just wants me dead. Well, I end up being the first African-American to ever have a nail salon for the Marines, the Marines has never had anything for the women. They always had barbershops, but they didn't have anything for their women. And um, God allowed me to open up a business in the PX of Quantico, the Marines. <laughs> Who comes from crack to Christ and open up a business? Okay. Then God allowed me to get my license to be a nail instructor. I mean, things were just happening that I would have never thought thought or dreamed of that could happen. And now everything's going good and I'm happy for Jesus. (laughs) And the next thing I know, I found out that I had lupus. Then I found out I had sarcoidosis. Then my body began to deteriorate. It just started dropping down, dropping down. I just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And before I know it, I know I'm going through this. I end up having two open lung surgeries. I had two pulmonary embolisms. They started putting me back on drugs. So now the devil done switched it. Instead of me having street drugs, now I got prescription drugs. You know what happened? They started injecting uh, morphine. They started giving me uh, Demerol. I started getting fentanyl. I started getting all kinds of drugs in my arm, and it was waking up everything in me that I thought had died. I began to see demons, spirits. I started seeing all kinds of stuff, and I was, like, yelling and screaming because my nurse was coming in, and he, as he walked in, there were seven amps behind him. I counted them, and they were black. They were in black robes. It was a smoke, like a figure of angels, but they were black. And I said, the angels of death are coming to try to take me out of here. And then that's when I got to screaming, nurse, nurse, nurse. And that was my nurse, but I I didn't see it as my nurse. And then all these other nurses ran in, and they were like, Miss Jenkins, he coming in here to give you your medicine. And I was like, no, he's the devil. He's coming in here to take me. And then they were like, it's your nurse. And I was like, no, you don't understand. It's the devil. And the amps are right there behind them. So they all left out, and they wanted to give me some morphine, but I wouldn't let them give it to me. And at the time, I was on the phone with Miss Brown. Dale, she, her lady was with me through it all. And um, she kept telling me, be quiet, be quiet. They're going to think you crazy, and they're going to put you in the psych ward. And I kept saying, no, this is spirit. It's a spirit. You know what I'm saying? She said, yeah, we know, but they don't know. So I wouldn't listen to her. So before I knew it, there was a counselor and a director came up to the room, and 
long story short, they sent me over to Fairfax Hospital and put me in a psych ward because they believed that I was crazy because I was telling them what I was seeing. And to them, that's not a spirit. That's uh, schizophrenic. <laughs> you got PTSD. I have receipts to show that I'm supposed to have everything that there is that you can have mentally in your head. I don't know who's out there that's listening to this that's feeling like I can't do it. You can do it. I know that it's hard. I know that it feel like you can't. And yeah, I guess you can go 30 days and feel good about it. But you can. We can. We could do whatever we want as we put our mind to it. I had a surgery done in 2019. It had something to do with when I was sick. And there was something implanted in me that shouldn't have been in me for no more than three to six months. And it ended up being, I got, they put it in me in 2014. 2019, they went to try to take it out. They had to go down into my artery because it had shifted to the main artery and I could drop dead at any time. When they seen it, they called me, told me I need to go see a heart and vascular doctor. I went to go see him and he wanted me to have surgery the next day. And I told him that I couldn't because my god sister passed away and I had to bury her. And he said, if you don't get this done, they'll be burying you. I said, well, sir, I'm sorry, but I can't do anything until after I bury her. And I came back on the date I said. They went in, and while they were in, apparently I had a spinal stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't, I didn't have any feeling. There were two ladies from the church that was with me because it was an in-and-out procedure. You guys, I ended up in that hospital. I didn't come home for about three months. I ended up going to a rehab place to learn how to use a wheelchair. My feet, my legs, they were so huge that you couldn't see my toenails. I couldn't stand. Why? Why am I always now being sick? And now I gotta learn to use a wheelchair? No. No. I began to pray, and I told God that I was sorry and to forgive me for allowing the enemy to put that thought in my head and to say that I'm paralyzed when I'm not. It's not my battle. It's the Lord's. We get involved when we don't need to, and then it stays there. Because if I hadn't said that prayer, I believe I'd still be paralyzed. I said that prayer to tell God to forgive me because I'm sitting up here saying that I am when I ain't. It's what you say it is. No, I'm not paralyzed. And then I woke up the next morning, and I was like, I'm going to walk today. I'm going to walk today. And the Holy Spirit said to me that 2020 is a right now faith for you. So get up and walk. <laughs> One of the ladies from the church came and she would video me, you know, using this wheelchair and stuff. So when they all came in, the therapist came in, I said, I'm going to walk today. And I said that every day, y'all. 
just to keep a sense of humor. I was always funny. I didn't want to talk about me. I didn't want nobody to know that I couldn't walk. So I just keep people laughing, making jokes. So this particular day, I said I was going to walk. I got in the wheelchair, and I was rolling myself to the therapy because they don't push you. They make you do everything. And um, when I turned the corner, I heard a harp. And that's one of my favorite instruments. And the lady was playing a harp, and she was playing Amazing Grace. And her husband was standing beside her playing a guitar. And when we were going past there, my friend was videoing. And I looked at her and I said, I told you I'm going to walk today. I'm going to walk today. Because, believe it or not, seeing the harp let me know that God was there. Because a harp is a healing. that It gave me confirmation that I'm healed. I'm going to walk today. That's what David did. He played it for the king and it soothed him. You know, it was a healing medicine. So when I got in there, it's on video, I did it. I mean, I didn't walk yet, but I moved my leg to touch what the lady told me to touch. And then my therapist said, okay, we're going to do something else. I might get in trouble for this, but we're going to do it. So she took me over to the steps, and we started out with the four-inch steps. And I stood there and stood there until I did it. And before I knew it, I had walked the steps. And I thought I was rocky when I got to the top. And I was crying. And I was like, y'all need a bell. <laughs> and I was thanking God. And I turned around and looked at the people that was in there in therapy. And I was like, y'all going to do it too. <laughs> I was like, if he did it for me, he going to do it for you. Watch. And people was just crying. And they were happy. And I was happy. And... I didn't go into a nursing home. I didn't have to go live with my daughter. They was fixing the ramp and everything for me. I just couldn't see it, y'all. I couldn't see it. I wasn't going to do it. I just couldn't do it. Come on. So once I apologized to God, it worked. And so I didn't roll out the store after rehab, but I did walk out with a walker. And um, now I'm walking. <laughs> and God is so good that he ended up sending me a therapist to swim, to, to get in a pool, and my legs strengthen up, and they strengthen up. I'm walking. So stop repeating what the doctor says. Don't repeat it. Pray. Ask God to forgive you for believing that lie, and then walk out on who you are. Just get up and do it. You can if you want. I can do anything that I can. I can do anything with Christ. But sometimes we do put ourselves in a situation where we think we can. I think we just get lazy and we get comfortable in it. And you want some attention. You want somebody to say things to you or feel sorry for you. You go through all of that. And I'm not going to say and lie. You do. Because I realized that from day one, I felt rejected when I was born because I didn't go home with my mom. I went home with someone else. Every time somebody came in my life, they leave. I felt rejected. So every time I felt rejected, I did something to make you see me. So even in going through all of this from child to there, it's still connected from then. 
So the only way I can get rid of that, that cord that's connected to me, so that I can live the way God wants me to live, I call it mental aerobics. Keep my mind mentally like an aerobics state on Jesus. Kimberly, who is Jesus to you? <laughs> He's my Lord and Savior. He's my all in all. He's my life. He is my lifeline. That's who he is to me. Kimberly, for anybody that's watching your testimony right now, uh, what are some last words that you can say to them? Never give up. Don't stop believing that you can be who God called you to be. Just keep believing it. Keep receiving it. Keep saying it. No matter what it looked like, just keep saying it. Because it will come to pass. God said he, he's not a God that shall lie. I found that I used to beat myself up all the time. If I did one little sin, or if I did something that somebody thought, or they say that's a sin, or they say, oh, you ain't saved, or they say you ain't this, stop listening to that. Be who God had called you to be. He's not going to have you to do the way I did it, and he's not going to have me to do it the way you did it. Let go and just let God. Stop listening to people. Because when I stand before God, I want him to say, well done. Not I told you to do something, you didn't do it, you listened to Barbara. You know what I'm saying? So just get into a prayer life with God, you and God, and just listen to him. He does speak. It's you that you're going to hear in your mind, but you're going to hear it softly and you're going to know that it's the right thing to do. Now, if you really want to see the words... Open up your Bible, and he's speaking right to you. 